Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, do want to mention this uh, great resource called the Version. Has just about every Bible translation you can imagine, all kinds of topics, video clips, and a complete set of notes for this message under events. And uh, speaking of notes, uh, also, if you would, uh, when you're in your favorite podcast player, likewise, search for Arlington FM Church. There you will find all of our teaching content. Do want to encourage you, if uh, you like what you're hearing, share it with friends. And, uh, well, this morning, uh, we're going to, whenever you're listening to this message, uh, we're going to jump into our series called Laugh More, Stress Less. And it's a teaching series uh, based uh, on a proverb from uh, what's known as the, uh, the Book of Proverbs or uh, otherwise part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament of the Bible. And uh, the wisdom literature, uh, really in a nutshell, it's uh, how do we bring together our faith in God, our belief in God who is real, uh, with the realities of life, with the ups and downs and the complexities of life. Well, you, you merge those two together, and uh, you have what the Bible calls wisdom. And uh, in that body of work, uh, we've been looking at chapter 17, verse 22, which reminds us uh, that a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And uh, as we've established in this series, uh, when our hearts are cheerful and laughter comes easily and often, it's like medicine. Uh, all kinds of good things happen uh, hormonally and chemically in our bodies when we laugh well. And, uh, you know, the opposite side of that uh, proverb is also true. When we don't laugh well, when uh, we become uh, kind of caught up in the busy, important, serious syndrome, uh, it's actually works against us. There's a deterioration that happens in our physical, emotional, and our spiritual lives when laughter is no longer uh, a normal part of our reality. Uh, last week, we made this uh, observation of a quote that said, life is hard on the soul. And if uh, you've been on this planet for more than just a couple of years, you know that's true. And uh, so uh, we're inviting uh, that that place where uh, laughter is sourced, a cheerful heart at the very center of our being. Uh, out of that place, uh, Jesus said, if we'll come to him, uh, we'll experience rivers of living water uh, springing up within us. In fact, uh, we looked at this prophecy last week from the prophet Isaiah, who said that with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, that God has done something that's a remedy uh, for the hardships that life inflicts on our souls. He's opened up uh, access into his presence where every good thing uh, is able to flow uh, into our lives. You know, when we started this series, it, we looked at uh, the good things that happen uh, in our lives when, when we experience God's salvation, and one of them is laughter. Uh, here's how the psalmist wrote about it. Psalm 126, when the Lord restored the fortunes of his people of Zion. We became like those who dreamed. In other words, uh, we had hope for our future. And uh, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And uh, the psalmist goes on to say, you know, when that's the case, when we have hope for our future, when our mouths are filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy, uh, it's a witness to a world that needs hope, needs joy. 
And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for those people. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And I would add laughter. See, in this psalm, uh, laughter is associated with freedom. And a freedom of spirit is why Christ died for us, so that that joy uh, could come from deep within us. Uh, laughter is also associated with hope for our future, uh, dreaming of the good things that God has in store for us. And laughter is associated with our witness, uh, how the truth about God, what he has done through Jesus Christ, uh, emerges out of us and uh, is communicated to our our friends and neighbors, people we associate with, uh, all of those wonderful attributes are accompanied by joy and laughter. Well, uh, today I want to establish this fact, that laughter is also an attribute of living wisely. Uh, you know, we said that uh, the book of Proverbs is part of what's known as wisdom literature. And uh, this part of the Bible is meant to inform us that uh, when we're open to God, when we receive instruction from him, when our hearts are tuned in and we want to align with his will, that life works better. That's the nature of wisdom. Uh, things go well for us. You know, we often say uh, following Jesus will not only make uh, your life better, it'll make you better at life. And that's really kind of the heart of the wisdom literature is when I live wisely, in alignment with God, uh, things go better. And it may not be easy. We experience all the ups and downs of life, but there's joy in our hearts and there's laughter in our mouths. Well, we come uh, to the end of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31, and it's almost as if, uh, you know, the writer uh, Solomon and a few others who accumulated these wisdom sayings, uh, it's almost as if at the end now comes a, a portrait of what a person looks like when they're really living in alignment with God, when the fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom, has uh, taken a directive in their hearts, in their actions. And uh, at the end of this uh, compilation of Proverbs, we have a, a portrait of a woman whose life is flourishing. And uh, it's almost like the crown jewel of uh, this is what it looks like when we live our lives uh, in submission uh, to the teaching and the instruction and the knowledge of God. And, uh, and then this one statement that uh, seems to be the crown jewel of the crown jewel. And here's what the writer says about this woman who lives with wisdom. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. Hear that again uh, when, when this person, this personification of a person who's living humbly before God, open to his instruction. Uh, she can look at life and she's clothed with strength and dignity. There's a sense of wholeness and integrity about her and she can laugh at the unknowns uh, that are in all of our futures because she's living wisely. You might say it like this, uh, when we live wisely, laughter comes easily and comes often regardless of what might be unfold, unfolding in our lives. And the opposite of that would also be true. When we live foolishly, uh, when whatever we proclaim to say we believe, if our lives are not in alignment with God's will and his teaching and his instruction, 
the joy and the laughter tends to dissipate, and we lose that ability to have life-giving and life-sustaining joy and laughter as a normative part of our lives. Well, um, you know, Jesus often spoke of uh, our works aligning with our words. It's not what we say we believe, it's what we do. Well, apparently, uh, the brother of Jesus, a guy named James, he really took to heart what he heard his brother teach about doing the will of God. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, James uh, writes to a group of people who, uh, who knew that we weren't saved according to our efforts and our deeds. Uh, James wrote on the other side of the cross, and he knew that salvation was a free gift from God based on the finished work of, in this case, his brother uh, through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Uh, but James uh, continued to teach on the importance of what we do with what we say we believe. In fact, uh, James, James would write those uh, famous words, uh, faith without works is dead. And uh, so uh, I want to, before we read some of James's thoughts, uh, remind you of something we said early on in this series, that in pursuing a life that has more uh, easy laughter and less stress, we're not into anything fake or frivolous or fabricated. Uh, we're not interested in putting a happy face over sad and broken hearts. And uh, it's the idea of being whole people, people of integrity, uh, people who live in the truth of what we believe. And so uh, James writes about these sorts of things. And uh, I want to give you a little bit of a warning about James's style. You know, it's kind of like when you're at a, a theme park and you're getting ready to get on a high velocity ride and you're standing there in line, you see a sign like this. It says, uh, you know, this is a high speed ride. And if you are prone to motion sickness, exit now. <laughs> this is going to be turbulent. And that's kind of a, that, that warning applies to going through. If we really take to heart what James teaches, I think you'll catch that drift. Uh, this is not for the, uh, this is not for those who, who just want the, uh, the cream off the top of the message of hope that we have in Jesus. Well, uh, here's what James writes in chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, who is wise and understanding? among you keeping in mind you know this uh, wisdom literature that proclaims to us that laughter that uh, cheerfulness is like medicine to our bodies uh, this picture of a virtuous uh, wise woman who's able to laugh at the future uh, james takes that idea of living in alignment with god and he says who is wise and understanding among you and i would imagine that many people who are hearing this message would like to say well I think that would be me. You know, I think uh, I try to live my life uh, humbly before God, try to be open to what he's teaching me, uh, try to follow in his ways. Yeah, uh, I would say I'm wise and understanding. Well, uh, James uh, kind of challenges our assumptions. He says, well, then let them, let us show it by their good life, by their deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And so uh, James uh, begins to build a, a foundation of what real wisdom, the kind that's life-giving, joy-producing, laughter-inducing, 
it's, it's uh, characterized by this high attribute that he calls humility. It's a meekness. It's a, it's a receptivity. It's the absence of, of pride and haughtiness, a feeling like you have it all figured out and others don't quite measure up with your accomplishments. Uh, so James highlights this quality called humility. He says, uh, but uh, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, well, then why would you boast about it or deny the truth? And so uh, here is James saying, look, uh, let's make sure you're practicing what you preach, uh, that if you say that you're a, you're a person who, who lives by the wisdom of God, you're teachable, you're leadable, you can respond to the reproofs of life. And, and that James would say, you know, if, if that's your self-identity, well, then you ought to prove it by the way you treat people. In fact, the number one quality that ought to emanate from our lives if we walk in wisdom is humility. The humility before God, humility before people, taking the lower position, uh, not imposing our will on others. And he, he gives two uh, opposites of humility. They are bitter envy. In other words, we celebrate when others fail or we see uh, the accomplishments of others as somehow being skewed and not quite as wholesome is our own bitter envy and selfish ambition. Our spirituality is more about having our way than it is following his way. And James would say, look, if you harbor, if you make a place, a refuge in your heart for these kinds of views towards people, it may be an indication that you're not living in the wisdom that you proclaim. In fact, uh, James goes on and uh, get ready. Here comes the high velocity part of the ride that we're on with James's teaching. He says, look, that kind of wisdom that proclaims to follow God, but uh, has this kind of uh, abrasive interaction with people, such wisdom does not come from heaven. It doesn't come down from God. It isn't in alignment with the fear of God, but it's earthly. In fact, it's unspiritual. In fact, it's demonic. So, uh, wow, James, tell us what you really feel. Uh, James is saying, look, if our interactions with people are abrasive, hurtful, and harmful, uh, we cannot say that we're walking in alignment and in submission to the will of God. Uh, so uh, James goes on. He says, look, the wisdom that comes from heaven, it could be defined like this. First of all, it's pure. It doesn't have mixed motives. It's not angry and bitter, harmful towards people, and yet uh, wanting to do the glorious, good, and the perfect will of God in the world. The wisdom that comes from heaven is pure. And then it loves peace. It loves to bridge gaps. It loves to do good things, even to its enemies. That's the nature of the wisdom that comes from God. It's considerate. It takes into account uh, the thoughts, the feelings, the beliefs, the histories of others before coming to conclusions. It's submissive. It, it, it always looks for a way uh, to find that path of peace. It's full of mercy. It's not quick to judge, but it's quick to extend compassion and understanding. It's full of good fruit. It's impartial. It's sincere. We can't hardly take these attributes in, but James is giving us a picture 
of the beautiful quality of wisdom that comes from heaven, that if we walk in it and align with it, it produces joy in our hearts and laughter in our mouths. Uh, he says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. It's good for us when we walk in this kind of surrender to God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. Well, uh, James uh, has a lot to say about this, but this is kind of his introduction. He's saying, look, um, if we like to think of ourselves as learning a few things about wisdom, you know, the Proverbs say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, James is saying, look, uh, whether you're a Christ follower or not, if you think of yourself as someone who's learning to, uh, to kind of uh, be teachable, uh, be, uh, be someone who's able to change, grow, experience God and all of his goodness, uh, these are the attributes that will be true of us, and uh, you can read through those and reflect on your own. Uh, but uh, James now, it's almost as if he's cracked the door open into our self-perception. And so in these next few verses that we're going to read, he pushes the door wide open. And basically, he's trying to show us that there's often this separation uh, between what we think is true about ourselves and what we actually live. And uh, we ought to, in the, in the pursuit of, of becoming whole and healthy people, the kind of people that, that laugh easily and laugh often in good ways that replenish us, that bridge the gaps in relationships, that bring health into the, the ups and downs of life, like that woman in Proverbs, uh, full of strength and dignity, able to laugh at what the future holds. Uh, James is saying if we're moving in that direction, we'll become aware uh, of this uh, division that often exists between where we think we are and where we're actually at. And uh, I want to say this before we go into these final few words that James wants to share with us. Uh, you know, uh, in the good old U.S. of A., uh, we suffer an addiction, all of us together. It's called the comfort addiction. Uh, we have so many material blessings that we really, uh, we go beyond liking comfort. We become addicted to it. Uh, we feel as though uh, we need you know, all of the things that uh, fill our lives, our phones, our screens, our homes, our air conditioning, and, you know, all of the other abundant things that, that our lives are filled with, it, that kind of uh, material prosperity, according to a lot of researchers, uh, has not only developed a desire for comfort, uh, but an aversion to anything that feels uncomfortable. And uh, I can tell you, having dwelt in James chapter 4, He's going to share some truths that are uncomfortable. And uh, we take that same aversion to uh, material discomfort and we apply it to emotional and spiritual so that uh, we often resist the difficult truths. We often resist hearing the hard things. We only want the blessings from God. We want to hear about how we can laugh more and stress less. But God wants to take us to the source. And oftentimes there's brokenness that needs to be dealt with. There's duplicity. There's mixed motives. And it's our willingness to open the door and let the light of his truth shine that brings us into better health. And so uh, buckle your seatbelts. Hold on. The high-velocity ride is about to take uh, some new twists 
and turns. Uh, here's what James writes, uh, beginning in James chapter 4, verse 1. What is it, after all, that causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, don't they come uh, from your desires or appetites that battle within you? Uh, so James is beginning to hit on our motives. Uh, you desire things, but you don't have them, and so you hurt others to get them. And, and you know, in this in, uh, context that James is writing, there were some zealots who believed that the political situation demanded that they become violent, and uh, they were actually doing what James is addressing here. Uh, they weren't getting what they wanted, so they were killing others in the name of their faith and their their uh, devotion. Uh, but, you know, this has many other applications. Is uh, When we're unsatisfied, we tend to look for the closest person to blame. Uh, James says you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet what others have, but you can't get it. And so you quarrel and you fight. You find things to argue about with people uh, when it's your own heart that's unsatisfied. Uh, John goes, or James goes on. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You're not communing with God in a way where you're dialoguing with him about your needs, your wants, your desires, your hurts. When you ask, James says, you don't receive from God because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your appetites or your pleasures. Uh, someone defines sin this week as our appetites, as someone else's expense. James kind of touches on that. Uh, now he really strikes a chord. He says, you adulterous people. And if you know anything about adultery, it's a cheating on your primary relationship. And uh, James accuses these followers of Christ of being adulterers. Uh, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world means hatred or enemy enmity against God? And uh, so James equates this uh, following our appetites, you know, saying we believe one thing, but treating people abrasively, having a bitter envy and, uh, you know, bitterness in our hearts. He sees that as being friendship with the world, uh, that a, a, a quality of life that God is branded worthy of judgment. And when we decide that it's okay to harbor those things in our hearts, uh, we've actually become friends with the world system that put Christ on the cross. Therefore, James says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that the jealousy uh, that, uh, that uh, God longs for us uh, with a jealous heart? It basically would be the translation of James's words. Uh, but in that situation where God's people are believing one thing, living another, harboring mixed motives in their hearts, uh, James uh, breathes a, a note of, of hope, a note of fresh air into that gloomy situation. Here's what he says. Uh, but God gives even more grace when he finds us in that place where we're divided against our very selves uh, rather than bringing judgment. He gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Well, uh, those, are, those are hard words. Those are difficult words. In fact, in a series on uh, laughing more and stressing less, 
we may wonder why in the world we're reading words that say, turn your laughter into mourning and turn your joy into gloom. And uh, well, here's the truth. Uh, James is inviting us uh, to uh, make our joy real, to make our laughter authentic and life-giving, and to not put it as a facade over a heart that is dis, uh, disconnected uh, from the will of God, the leading of God, the teaching of God, the wisdom of God. And uh, here are just a few takeaways uh, from this high-velocity ride that James takes believers on who want their lives to be authentic and wholesome and whole. Uh, authentic sadness is much more life-giving than pretend gladness. Uh, hear that again. In the view of James, authentic sadness, being grieved about the things in our lives that are not as they should be, is much more life-giving than pretend gladness. You know, uh, Scripture has this theme over and over again that God desires truth in the inward being. In fact, one of the classic uh, writings, Psalm 51, uh, King David had been living uh, a double life. You know, he, he proclaimed uh, to be this man after God's own heart, but he was making decisions uh, that were hurtful to people. He was taking advantage of others. He went so far as to have adultery with another man's, an affair with another man's wife, had the man put to death. When he was found out, uh, David's heart broke, and he wrote uh, the words of Psalm 51. One of his conclusions was, uh, God, if you wanted religious behavior, I would give that to you. But sacrifice is not what God's interested in. What David learned is that God wants truth in the inward being. And the only acceptable sacrifice to God, David would write, is a broken and a contrite spirit. And uh, that's exactly the place that James would lead us to, is that sometimes, uh, rather than uh, trying to be easygoing and find ways to laugh, uh, we need to be sad. We need to be broken. Uh, we need to think through uh, where our lives are falling short of the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God and let that create an appropriate amount of sadness in our hearts. Uh, you know, uh, one of the other Psalms, uh, the, David says, uh, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any twisted way in me. And uh, I got to believe that uh, when we pray a prayer like that, if we're sincere, God will show us. He'll show us those things, those places, and those people where we're not uh, living as peacemakers. We may even be living with selfish ambition and a bitter envy of others. And uh, those things hurt when we really acknowledge and take them to heart. Uh, but here's the truth. We will never laugh freely unless we are free. And we will never be free without facing and owning the truth about ourselves. Uh, you know, that, that's a truth that we really need to embrace, that we'll never truly uh, laugh unless we're free the kind of laughter that is soul-replenishing, but we won't be free without facing the truth about ourselves. You know, someone uh, once said, uh, the truth will set you free like Jesus promised, but it'll probably make you miserable first. And that is exactly uh, the, the tone of the brother of Jesus, James, as he writes to these uh, 
apparently these followers of Christ who were living a double life. They were saying they were uh, believing uh, that God had restored them to himself through the cross of Jesus Christ, but they were living lives that were discordant and detached from that reality. And uh, to acknowledge that uh, brings about a grief and a mourning. You know, uh, I would ask you, uh, when James says you should, uh, you know, turn your laughter into sorrow and turn your joy into gloom, you should grieve, mourn, and wail. Uh, I would ask you, what do you do when you read a passage from the Bible like that? You know, for most of us, uh, we're having our coffee, doing our devotions, we read those words, and maybe we have a brief passing thought about, huh, well, that would be different. And that's the end of it. You know, early in his letter, James cautioned against that kind of response to the Bible. He says it's like a mirror. And when you look in the mirror and you see things about yourself, you ought to fix them. You ought to tend to them. And uh, I would encourage you uh, this week, uh, have some authentic times where you invite God to show you where you may be out of alignment with his teaching, his leading, uh, to all the wonderful virtues that James describes in chapter 3. And uh, when those, uh, when those uh, uh, breakages show up, uh, allow there to be an appropriate time of sorrow and mourning and grief and even wailing, uh, asking God to make you more of what Christ died for you to become. Uh, you know, as we, uh, as we end this message, uh, I want to remind you uh, that uh, the invitation to, uh, to really let our laughter be turned into sorrow is life-giving in and of itself because God wants to uh, help us to get past the brokenness that we so often carry and manage in our own souls. And, you know, uh, it's easy when we hear a message like this, to think of all the other people who need to apply it. And uh, we, we think of the people that perhaps we're living in judgment over. Thinking, boy, if they did this, the world will be a better place. Uh, but as we end and go to prayer, I wanted you to see this text on one slide, one screen, and notice something uh, in reading through uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. You see all the words in yellow, those are the words you. <laughs> what causes fights and, and arguing uh, among you? And uh, all of these, uh, you know, these uh, heinous uh, poisons that can creep into the soul. Uh, James says uh, it's not somebody else's issue. It's yours. And if you will humble yourself before God, uh, God will lift you up. And uh, so let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you that you love us so much. Uh, you're willing to speak the truth in love. And uh, we would just acknowledge today as we uh, look into your word that so often uh, we say we believe one thing, and yet we live quite differently. And the wisdom that James is calling us to is if we're really open to God, if we're open to his teaching, if we're willing to be led by him, if the fear of the Lord really is in our hearts, it'll show up in the way that we treat people. It will be gracious and kind and full of mercy and peace-loving. And Lord, uh, so often uh, we create a theology and an ideology 
that allows us to say one thing is true about God and to live quite differently, uh, much as the recipients of James' letter uh, did. And so, Father, I pray uh, that you would uh, restore integrity. Uh, truth in the inward being is what you desire. Uh, Lord, uh, may you help us uh, get beyond our addiction to comfort and only hearing words that make us feel good. Uh, Lord, may we invite uh, the truth, and sometimes the truth will make us miserable, miserable before it sets us free. And so we pray for that, that grace, that humility to come upon our souls. And may we be reminded, uh, Lord Jesus, that you were tempted in all these ways as we are, that you are moved by the feelings of our brokenness, and uh, you don't shame us when we're feeling guilty, but you invite us uh, with confidence to come near the throne of grace that we might receive help in times of uh, trouble. And we uh, open our hearts to that, Lord, as we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.